Hums. Welcome back to another episode. Hi guys, we're back once again with some more cultural recos, exciting stuff. Some juicy celeb goss. First Noelle, I want to know how your weekend in Venice was. Oh my god, so I took my boyfriend away for a surprise 30th trip to Venice. And I'm very proud of myself, I managed to keep um, where we were going a complete surprise until we oh, got no to way. the gate. So he didn't know where you were actually going? No, he, oh, he thought we were going to the countryside. And, um, oh my god, that, what a nice surprise. I know. And yeah, so I managed to like get his boarding pass for him, put it through oh for him. So it was only at the gate when it said Venice that I'm he knew. I'm surprised he wasn't like... No, I can't be this out of control, I must know. Yeah, so he was yeah. actually quite Which, stressed. He obviously like, packed the wrong stuff. That was essentially all he could talk about for the first like two hours. It was like, I've got no nice clothes. I thought we were going to the countryside. And I was like, well, I had been quite specific in that pack exactly what you would for a day out in London. Yeah. I would say only men could get that memo wrong. Also, surely he knew you probably weren't going to the countryside when you like rocked up a Heathrow. So I blew it, yes, but he'd obviously he'd packed by then. Yeah. Um, I kind of blew it in the morning, really blearily at 5am. I was like, have we got an adapter? But I think I uh, threw okay. him off the scent. Anyway, we went and stayed, if anyone wants to go to Venice, the most amazing hotel, quite expensive. I could only afford two nights, called the Experimental Um hotel nice um which is part and of the experimental yeah, part group. of the whole group with like yeah. henrietta and the cocktail bar in um chinatown that i recommended the other day yes yep. it's so gorgeous it's kind of like soho house meets like the pig yeah meets it's that kind of really gorgeous neat yeah nautical it's like soho house um beat the beach house in barcelona it was oh, a bit like that it's like very mm. nautical themed gorgeous room that overlooked like we had these two massive high windows that overlooked the canal so like every Ooh. evening and every morning we saw like the mist rising over the canal and it's the only i was quite stressed when i booked it because i was like my boyfriend loves cocktails and there aren't rick venice isn't known for its cocktails but the one bar that does amazing cocktails is the experimental in its own house and we booked via mr and mrs smith and they give you like a complimentary cocktail love mr and mrs smith they're very good, aren't they? They do. Although, you do you not remember when we went to the Maldives and we looked at a Maldives holiday on there and we were like, okay, obviously not. Oh, it was it's so like expensive. absurdly expensive. But yeah. This probably cost about, <clears throat> it's probably like a few hundred for the for the most basic room and then goes a night. from there. Yeah. Yeah. So oh. it's, it was a special occasion. Tuned. Yeah, but it was his 30th. It was so. his 30th. By the second day, I was like, go on, I'll paying. Sorry, uh, for the meals and things. Tell so. me about your best meal. What was the best restaurant you went to? Had you done all your resos in advance? I did all the resos in advance. I went to this amazing place that you could, oh, you literally have to book it four months in advance. It's a tiny little family run restaurant that only has like six tables. And what's it's called? It called? Um, Osteria della Testiere. Although Venice is like renowned for its seafood. So it was like seafood, everything, which my boyfriend loves, but I hate. As you know, you also don't particularly like seafood, do you? Well, I don't love like oysters and stuff but I love like you know prawn whereas I know if there's prawns on the menu oh god I went to a 70s yeah. birthday party and they had prawn cocktail which is my least favorite dish but I didn't want to yeah. say anything anyway yes yeah, so this beautiful <laughs> little restaurant was so good I had a gorgeous sea bath and a butter sauce mm. also went to Alcovo for his actual birthday in the evening which is really great and you take like the Vaporetto which is this What's kind of that? public boat that's like Ooh. probably like I've never been to Venice so oh, have you not? no I, I've never do you know what I really recommend it for two nights because I did think that sounded a bit short. Was it not in the end? I thought it would be too short yeah. as well. And it and you do have to be like lucky with the fact that there's no delays and stuff. But after two nights, three days, so we left early on the morning to get there and left Venice in the evening. Um, I felt like I'd done it. I'd been to two museums. Okay. I'd gone to like four restaurants. I'd walked around. Obviously, it's tiny. So mm. I'd walked around loads. Um, gone to the Basilica. Like did everything. It, you have to be interested in art, I think, because I think the only thing stuff to do in the day is like drink, 
eat or like go to the museums. What's like the cocktail of Venice and or like the drink of Venice? Is it because of Campari? Yeah, I think yeah. So and aperols are three fifty. So things are quite expensive. Lunch and dinner was expensive, but aperols were three euros fifty. Nice. Um, but yeah, the, the drink of choice is in the Groni. Don't go to Harry's Bar, which is like the famous bar, but it's actually quite terrible. Oh, which is where the Bellini was invented. No, I refuse to take a gondola, which is like the special boats people take. And I refuse to go to Harry's Bar. But Why did you not get a gondola? Yeah, I thought that was like the Venice thing. Oh, it's just a tourist trap. It's too expensive. It right. costs two euros to take a 20 second trip across the water. Right. Um, and probably like... Are there loads of are gondolas like taxis? Are they just there like hanging around? On no, the no, no. So the taxi is the thing called the Vaporetto where there's like, I mean, there's literally no cars. So you have to get on the, the boat. boat and that's how people commute and stuff. But um, gondolas are very much for tourists. Right. Like okay. Field. Yeah. Just to, like do for the, for the for Yeah. Gram. But my boyfriend's quite tall, doesn't really like water. I don't think he would have loved it. You know, it would be right. Um, um, most importantly, did you have any pasta or any pizza? So no. <gasps> Pasta oh and pizza is not good in Venice. Really? Actually, wait. Sorry, that's such a lie. I had I had the most amazing pasta, but <laughs> no pizza. It's not. It's not known for its pizza. It's not a pizza spot. I right. had the what most, pasta? Oh, it was go to um, a restaurant called Zuka, which is famous for its pumpkin flan, which was very interesting, okay. and it had this amazing gorgonzola pasta, which was just. So my boyfriend's obsessed with meat. He bought the 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 meat equivalent, and he just like wanted to eat mine. Gosh. So it's just it was just gorgeous and it like overlooked the canal and Venice is still really good weather so it's like 18 degrees the wine was amazing very good value wine it was just great and yeah I really recommend just I think the Palazzo has like the experimental group hotel has outpost all across Europe recommend yeah I've been to the one in Ibiza have it's you really was yeah. it amazing I haven't stayed there I've just been for dinner it opened um last year so I've actually been there both times I've been to Ibiza in the last year I had dinner there um in the restaurant in last September and it's like downstairs in Ibiza town in the one of the main squares so it's quite a cute buzzy spot Ooh. and then they have a rooftop cocktail bar as oh, well. amazing. yeah the cocktails yeah. are really good and they've taken this building it's called the Montesol and it's like on a corner right in the middle of Ibiza town and it's like the most gorgeous like historic building so I'm sure the room's lovely I haven't actually seen inside them though so Lush. I mean also probably quite expensive not gonna lie I would suggest if you're in Ibiza to just go there for like dinner or drinks yeah yeah and yeah. stay somewhere else yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's very much like a special occasion. Um, but but only it. because, personally, if I was in Ibiza, I wouldn't choose to be in Ibiza town. It's not about the hotel itself. It's actually just... Right, yeah. right. I mean, it's very gorgeous. Where would you say? We need to go to the standard. We do. We do. It really depends. It depends what you're there for. Like, I don't have any hard and fast rules. Hard and fast yeah. rules. <laughs> um, but yes. What Cute. about you? What did you do? I went to the Tovelo gig. Tuvalu. Tuvalu. Yeah, at the Roundhouse, which was fab. I saw a very gorgeous picture of her splayed bottom on Instagram yes with yes. her concert as yeah that she posted that yes she I saw that yes <laughs> to be clear um yeah she was amazing as she would be uh fab stage presence and like it was quite fun to go to a show that has obviously like a culty following like, yeah I haven't actually been to a gig like that in a long time and the energy in the room was really palpable and stuff like it was a really fun camp like glittery kind of audience do you know what I mean was like, it mostly female no oh lots of gay men as yes. well yes um, did but you, her, did her you have a little boogie? Had a big boogie. Her stage outfits were great. She played like loads of our faves. Uh, it was brilliant. It was actually brilliant. And even better, when I got home, I tried the McDonald's McCrispy. You know, <gasps> the one that Maya Jama's doing the advert for. Honestly, what a good advert because it is making. I never eat McDonald's and I'm buying one. Oh, see, I, I, I do drunk. love McDonald's. Yeah, very once, once a blue moon. Like, I've had literally had McDonald's twice this year, but when I do, I like having it as like an Uber Eats, like after that, after a night out. 
Oh my God, it was. Well, it, I mean, do you know what? It's very, very delicious, but it's basically an upgraded chicken sandwich. See, I've never had that. You've never had a chicken sandwich? No, what do you I, get when you have McDonald's? I don't. I go to Morley's. Morley's chicken wrap, my friend. Yeah, but what? So you've not eaten a McDonald's in the last 10 years? No. Uh, right. I know. I think I went, I was trying to bring this up recently. The last McDonald's I went to was in Kingston after going out in Oceana, which meant I must have been Fucking 17 hell. or 18. Literally. I was going to say, I, don't, I actually don't think Oceana's even running anymore. I don't think it's yes. there. It was back when I was underage. Anyway, um, that was lovely. Also went to my friend Millie's house. Uh, she's recently moved into a new place and it's in the same building as the mob kitchen offices. <gasps> I was like, oh my God, I really Sorry, want to go well, and stalk I don't them. even know where that is. It's on of course Kingsland Road. That. So like, Christine, when she gets drunk or bored, uh, stay, is under her duvet scrolling mob kitchen recipes. Yeah, it's not a drunk thing. It's like just a, a daily thing. Oh, okay. Like I literally check their page like every day. <laughs> I don't know why I just love recipe videos. It's like my calming juice i've just followed the guy who does one pound meals oh i don't know which one that is he's called i can't remember but um he does one pound vegan meals right and he's quite famous on no Instagram. thomas straker that's where you want to go if you want someone like cheap no but um what like one of the mob kitchen crew but that's like quite elevated oh. um thomas straker yeah he's like a chef and he's opened his own restaurant recently he used to work at like carousel places like that like he's Ooh. like well, i mean got a very good rep and he did like this whole butter series recently that was quite amazing to watch butter series yes like all about butter and every like day or week or whatever it was like a different type of butter so one day it'd be like do your butter the next day it would be like shallot butter the next day it'd be like oh. brandy butter or whatever you know what i mean like, i love butter i love I a whipped butter from oh. iceland Really? Yes. Did I do that? A Nordic butter. Is that Nordic? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Anyway, when I went to Iceland, I used to have whipped butter. It's their speciality. Oh, you mean Iceland the country? Yes. Right. I thought you meant the supermarket. No. I was like, that sounds like not what I would expect. But cool. <laughs> didn't know you get whipped butter at Iceland. Um, didn't know they were going big on the Nordic foods. Uh, no. No. To clarify. Going back to their roots. Um, joking. Obviously, I know that Iceland is not. <laughs> from Iceland by the way I actually this could be a lie so I don't know or this could be mistaken I should say but um I actually have heard that Iceland opened um in like when it when Iceland opened it was actually quite high grade because um the idea of like freezing fresh veg was like really novelty and they were like it packs in all the goodness and all that kind of thing so oh interesting yes anyway that's much too much of a tangent tangent favorite word I want to tell you about the Britney Spears long read Yes. in the New York magazine it looks Vulture. so juicy I couldn't even find time to read it today I, I know to I prepped other things and then for this and then was like no that's that's got to be the topic hit me baby so good fun there <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry I actually need to have a swig of my tea before it goes cold okay so um, the cover line was House of Spears and the actual headline is the curse of Kentwood Kentwood being where they're from um, and it's like how basically the piece is by this woman called Kerry Howley and it looks at how um, the conservatorship happened and why Jamie Spears would have wanted to subject his daughter to that level of control one year on. Um, and so basically what it does, it's very much like House of Hammer, that Army Hammer one we looked at, in that it's like looking at generational trauma and like goes back to like the grandfather. Mm. And um, it paints quite an interesting picture of the town in which they live, like say Kentwood, very rural. Like I knew Britney Spears was from like a seriously rural part of Mississippi. No, it was a really rural part of Louisiana. But the way it's described in the piece is literally like these tiny little towns along these train tracks um, that's very remote. And the town itself only has like 3,000 people live there. So everyone kind of knows everyone. You know, it's one yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. And the surnames are all known and generations have been there. 
So Jamie's father, June Austin Spears, was like described by people that knew him as a fireball on steroids. His mother was Jean Spears um, and she was only 16 when she married Jamie's dad. Um, and she allegedly committed suicide when Jamie was 13. So this is kind of where it starts, like the trauma, I guess, that's gone on right. in the family. It kind of starts with, or that's where Jamie's story starts. Um, his dad was allegedly, so June Austin was allegedly like a very like, he was like an abusive man. Like he was not nice to his kids. He was not nice to his wife. Um, a very big personality. When Jamie's mother committed suicide, her body was found in the cemetery where Jamie's younger brother, who had died at three, three days old, was buried. So it kind of looked as if she was so still devastated by the loss of this child, even over a decade on, that yeah. she'd gone to his grave and shot herself. Oh, that's so sad. Since, people have said... Um, so her husband, i.e., June Austin told the coroner that she tried to kill herself three times before that but whether to believe him or not is kind of what's put into right. doubt is and what dead? part he might have played he's dead now yeah but basically the incident, people believe that he might have actually killed her he then remarried literally only eight months after Jamie's mother had died so they had to stand there and watch their dad marry he remarried this other woman Joanne she had two children already of her own and then they went on to have children together but Jamie as this kind of you know 13 14 year old obviously had quite a traumatic time um and and what about what about his second wife did he mistreat her as well yeah so in 1970 after they'd been married for three and a half years she was institutionalized against her will yeah oh my god yeah so he so the idea is that he probably institutionalized her oh my god as like control which is so weird that, and this is exactly yeah, what's exactly it's like Brittany. this mirroring that's going on now so ja so yeah jamie's dad locked up his wife like to control her and you know, these ghosts of the past are kind of rearing their ugly head. But um, And not that it's any excuse, but you can definitely see how that would influence the way your son views women. Yeah, and then, get this, is how weird his dad was. So he then married, his third wife was his stepsister, only a few months after sectioning his second wife. So he was obviously a very, like, awful, controlling, manipulative, what was strange job? man. June Austin had been in the Air Force at one point and then I think he like was a steel, he did something in steel, like oh, I can't even really remember because what it does go on to talk about then is Jamie's professional life from pre Britney was born and post and he kind of couldn't really hold a job down, was an alcoholic, ended up like doing bits of this, bits of that. They had really bad debts over the years, he and Lynn. They weren't very good with money at all apparently and they couldn't really manage their money but uh, uh, the, the journalist does say that this idea of them as show parents is incorrect. Even though they were really proud of their daughter and wanted her to be a star, they weren't like those stage parents that wanted to make money out of her. Like actually they were inept with handling their own finances. Right. So Britney's drive came from herself. That's like what an old gymnast teacher says. Like she was focused, she was driven. Like that was like innate in her. It wasn't her parents forcing it. Um, but it just paints this picture basically of this like, very, very sad state of affairs where no wonder her dad is traumatised by what he went through when he was younger, but then he became an alcoholic and, like, perpetuated that really onto his own kids. Like, there's one thing that's mentioned about how Lynn Spears was going to leave him just before Britney was born. Um, a year before Britney was born, she'd filed for divorce and then took it back because uh, he didn't turn up on Christmas Day. He was, like, in a bar. She heard that he'd, like, taken a woman home. So there was all sorts going on. The point that the journalist in the piece makes is that he didn't do it because he was interested in any kind of, like, opulent lifestyle. Like, apparently he really isn't that guy. It was actually about exerting, like, control over his daughter. Like, minuscule, microscopic control. Like, down to, like, Britney would say that she wanted to 
sushi for dinner and it'd be like we well, can't have sushi because you had sushi yesterday she'd right. want to wear she'd want to buy a pair of sketches and they were like nope not in the budget too expensive because he was her manager right yeah but he was her conservator i guess so that was when he's been managing her whole estate so but was he her manager before he was her conservator I don't think so. No. They don't mention that. So the reason that he got the conservatorship was obviously um, there was that period which has been detailed in a lot of those Britney docs where she was living with Sam Lufty, who the guy who she'd met in a man, in a nightclub who was styled as her manager. Her family became increasingly concerned about his control oh, over yes. her. Do you remember all of that? Yeah. I think he might have even been British. But what basically happened is that Lynn went to visit Britney at the mansion while Sam Lufty was living there. And when the gates opened, Jamie snuck in behind her. He then got into like an altercation with Sam Lufty where he was removed by security. Jamie was. And then literally the next day, Jamie went back around there again and punched Sam Lufty. So Jamie was definitely absolutely furious about this idea that his daughter was like potentially like going down this path i think what what is insinuated in the piece is that her father was terrified that what happened to his mother was going to happen to her which is that she was losing custody of her children and so she was going to kill herself his mother in his mind killed herself because of one of her children dying i see so but does the piece suggest that um britney's very poor mental health was largely driven by Jamie's over-controlling behaviour. So, yeah, they make the point that, like, in even though Britney is 40 years old, she's literally only ever had a total of time of, like, nine years independence from her parents' control. And they were definitely worried about her mental health. But the uh, journalist argues that a lot of what was going on in her 20s was essentially, like, a lot of, like, normal 20s behaviour. Do you know what I mean? And also... The public, you know, in the public sphere, the papers were calling it, like, Britney's meltdown. But actually, it was clearly, like, a nervous breakdown. Which was in part like which her her father is partly responsible for in the first place i don't know if they're saying that to be fair oh, really? i mean i think certainly they're pointing they're suggesting that she had a traumatic childhood yeah, definitely yeah. and some strange things did happen um and her mum's past is a little strange as well like when she was 20 she knocked down and killed a 12 year old by accident <gasps> yeah when she was driving that would traumatize you yeah so some, and she also her parents didn't want her to marry Jamie Lynn. Jamie, sorry, another Jamie. It's getting so confusing. Her parents didn't want her to marry Jamie's, Jamie, Britney's dad. They eloped. She was quite young when they met. He, Jamie apparently was the big, big athlete of the town. So they say that actually Britney's very like him in like her physicality, like the connection that Britney has between like mind and body. Like Britney's an athlete. She's a dancer more than like yeah. a singer. And they're saying that she gets that from him basically because he was the star quarterback and all of this kind of thing. Also, I have to say, I really judge any mother that's going to write a memoir to profit off your daughter's story. Exactly. Um, like I really just... like. No matter what happened with my parents, I mean, I have a great family and no issues, but if I'd had a massive feud with my parents, the idea of them releasing a memoir about me, had I been famous, is so preposterous, I can't even fathom. Can you actually imagine? And like, when they they show you some of the figures with the money um, and how much, you know, obviously, Jamie's lawyers fought to keep the conservative going and charged the hours to Britney's estate. So the estate paid Jamie $6 million. It paid dozens of different law firms fees, totaling $30 million. Um, it paid her brother, but it's unclear for what, Brian, who did also say some kind of questionable stuff when he was interviewed at the mum's mansion. Like, he insinuates that the conservatorship, he says it was a really good thing for our family. And it seems like he doesn't quite understand the kind of darkness inherent in that whole thing. But um, the estate also paid for £1.5 million pounds of repairs on, her, um, repairs on her mother's mansion. It paid Jamie Lynn, the little sister's husband, also incredibly named Jamie. So it's getting super confusing, so many Jamie. Wait, so she's named, it's a hybrid of her two parents' names? Yes. 
how weird as well again I ego. Know. <laughs> how ego weird here. to do that um they paid him like best part of two hundred thousand dollars of like for like work like it's all very dodgy and yet britney was there like bartering for dinner being told she wasn't allowed to have sushi and being threatened it was jamie who would do the threatening when like she would refuse to say rehearse or do something he would be the one that'd be like you're not going to see your kids unless you do he stopped having a mobile phone didn't he yeah she, and then when she did use a mobile phone it would be like tracked by the security company that he'd hired <gasps> so basically i think this like coercive control he'd seen it mirrored in his father yeah, his father yeah. did it to three wives all who ended up dead And um, her sister, Jamie Lynn, also is like a kind of a failed singer, right? I have some empathy Uh, with her. Yeah, she is. And she was a Nickelodeon star and stuff. But like one of the things that um, Britney has said as well is that once she refused to do a certain dance move and that's when she was hospitalized for four months and put on lithium. And that's obviously literally what happened to Joanne, her grandfather's second wife. Question for you now. Do you think, and obviously we can't like speculate on someone's mental health, but like when you see those pictures on her Instagram of her like completely nude or well like do you yeah. think like wow empowerment good for her or well, are you worried? very interesting you say that because there's a whole paragraph in the piece that basically says um the journalist says an astonishing number of women have told me that after supporting the free Britney movement they have regretfully unfollowed her and um, her posts have become uncomfortable to watch and I've definitely discussed that with I literally was discussing that with some friends on Saturday like I love Britney I'm so here for it but sometimes when she's posting you're like oh my god you actually do seem like a little bit unwell but then as the journalist points out who the hell is going to come out of being controlled by your parents like that for over a decade normal? You're not. Yes. Like, And also, how are her posts any different to what Madonna posts? And Madonna, no one's speculating over her mental health. Yeah. Like, she's saying, you know, one cannot be returned to the status of a child for 13 years under the dicto- dictatorial control of a damaged man and emerge unchanged from that. Like, it's just not realistic. What I find really strange, and this comes to, this kind of circles into what we often say on the podcast when we interview our celebrity guests, is the idea of you being frozen at the time you become famous. What I find the most unnerving is watching Britney being a little girl. Her voice is the same. She's so puerile, the way she acts on Instagram. But then it's like hypersexual, like all the like naked pics that she posts and stuff. Yeah, but it's like, it's like what we were talking about, the Taylor Swift thing, sexy baby. It's like very much like sexualized ingenue, like... Yeah. I'm so innocent. And that's why her sons, like, I, you know how her sons are doing this whole weird interview with, like, ITV, which is so random. Why the hell is it ITV? I don't know. But they, that's their main, like, issue now as well of, like, why they're not speaking to their mum. Like, it's embarrassing for them, like, her posting all these pictures. I mean, I'm not, as in, I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying, I get, totally get why a teenage boy would feel a little bit embarrassed yeah. by that and um but the journalist makes the point that the reason that we're all really uncomfortable with it is because what's missing now when she acts like this is the con- is like the control that we thought was like inherent to who britney is do you know what i mean so like right. be that like her command of her body with her dance moves her mastery of like self-presentation like this sense that she could be like the public's showgirl do you know what i mean has now like gone that connection's ruptured and everyone's like oh we like yeah and you can't say it in public like they make the point because it sounds like you're justifying the conservatorship if you say that which obviously regardless of someone's mental health unless do you know what I mean like it just even if she is slightly unwell that doesn't therefore justify the conservatorship but you're right she's been in a conservatorship 14 years so her behaviour has been completely different 14 years and those probably were the most 14 most like um, instrumental years in terms of what the yeah it's from 26 onwards like that's when you become a proper adult. And also a really key thing I think to mention is that, so Britney is Britney Jean. So she has the name. Jean is the is Jamie Spears' mother who killed herself or perhaps was killed by the, by the father. By June. By, yeah, by June Austin. Um, and Britney has always been worried about having this middle name because she's like, it's cursed. I have the middle name of my grandmother who killed herself because <gasps> she lost her baby. 
Do you know what I mean? So it's like this weird, creepy, like mirroring. And that's part of Jamie's fear as well, that his daughter's going to become his mother. So it's all this like, like warped, twisted logic. Does the article at all help you sympathise? Or not sympathise, but empathise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes complete sense. Like it it does frame Jamie's behaviour within the broader context of like generational family trauma. Do you know what I mean? Like you're like, he watched his father his whole life control women like this and claim it was out of love. And because I think Jamie genuinely believes that what he did for Britney was out of love. Apparently he was almost like maniacal in his like wanting to enforce it from the start because he was so worried. And one thing that Lynn Spears says, which is interesting, is that apparently historically Jamie was always really good in times of like sickness and stuff. That's when he like came alive and would be part of the family. When something was really bad, sickness, even death, that's when he'd be there. And yet there'd be other times where he'd just like go missing and be drinking for months. And that's why Britney didn't have a great relationship with him at first. Apparently he wasn't really involved in her career at all for those first years. All the Mickey Mouse Club stuff. He wasn't not proud of her. And he would be like, my daughter's an amazing singer. But he wasn't there as this like stage parent, like pushing and pushing. Mm. He only really got involved when shit started to hit the fan. When Sam Lufty and she, all of that stuff happened and she lost custody of the kids and all the rest of it. You know, when... A meltdown. But does he deserve any sympathy? Because yes, we understand as we've talked about before with the army hammer thing, like hurt people hurt people. But a lot of hurt people also don't hurt yeah. people. Like actually the majority of hurt people probably don't go on to like become like controlling misogynists. So the the theory that the journalist posits right at the end, so sorry for the spoiler, but as you can hear, this is quite a convoluted long story, so I would definitely suggest going to read the piece. Well, so you can't really my timeline's a bit all over. Exactly. Yeah. Um but she basically suggests that um, he wasn't just left with an abusive man by a loving mother at the age of 13, but he was left over her grief for another boy, as if to say, you, the living son, the eldest son, are not enough. The opposite of seeking total control over another person is not the establishment of healthy boundaries. The opposite of control is this, a soft wind over a hard stone, a mother present at breakfast and gone by dusk, the insistent whisper of that terrible word, abandoned. So it's basically saying he was abandoned by his mother, which is now he's doing the opposite with Britney. Do you know what? And sorry to turn such a morbid thing into a brilliant segue. But <laughs> abandonment is really the theme of Matthew Perry's memoir. Of why he is the way he is. Of the way, why he is the way he is. Which is what I was going to talk about today. Go on. Matthew Perry, who obviously Chandler from Friends, um, has just released a memoir called Friends, Lovers and the Big Terrible Thing. And he basically, I mean, you may all know this. He's been in rehab like 65 times has had like 14 stomach operations, almost died. What, as in stomach operations because of his mistreatment of his body with alcohol and drugs? Yes. Wow. He's had pancreatitis, his colon exploded. Whoa. Um, and essentially he links all his drug and alcohol abuse back to this very formative flight that he took between um, Canada and Los Angeles where he, his parents were divorced and he went to go and live with his dad in LA and he was five years old and he had to travel the flight as an unaccompanied minor and he didn't have his mum with him and he traces his whole... Why? Um, like, is that, did something go on on the flight? Because otherwise I'm like, sorry, that's not that much of a big deal. So I think, that, uh, yeah, he basically says that he felt abandoned and that's he also says that's the reason why when he's... Um, when he buys homes now, he's he's like a compulsive, constant home buyer and mover. He like constantly moves around. Where does he's, he live? LA. Yeah, 
and he has to have a house with a view that makes him feel safe because he looked out the window in the plane and didn't recognise anything. It's a bit cringe, some yeah, of it. Yeah, I feel that's a bit like I've done a, a lot of therapy in yeah. the last 20 years. I mean, so so it's a very good memoir. It's actually really good. I really recommend buying it. What's um, the big terrible thing? The big terrible thing is his addiction. Right, right. But um, throughout, A, there's a bit too much wisecracking. You do feel like him and Chandler are I was going to say, same. is it like reading a bit? Because also even that, I feel like the whole thing with Chandler was like a bit of a, like, um, abandonment story. Like with his yeah. mum transitioning and his dad like not really being around. No, sorry, it was his mum that transitions, isn't it? And his, yeah. But his mum's like a comic who makes jokes about him. Or like, it's like a- He very much uses humour as a way to make people like him because he felt abandoned as a child. Right. And he says, you know, Chandler is me. The producers literally built Chandler around oh, me. Oh, did they? Yeah, and the fact that Being I use like- humour as a way to feel silenced because I'm so scared of, like, people not having a good time around me. But what you were saying with Jimmy Carr, like comics are often people that felt like they needed to brighten a room because they had terrible childhoods they had like depressed parents whatever so um it basically opens with this like insanely graphic scene i mean this this memoir is not for the faint-hearted like the graphic detail we get an order celebs for not being like open with us and being too vague no detail is left unspared it is disgusting did he write it himself or has it got a ghostwriter no i i think he very much wrote it himself because it's written in his annoying chandler-esque voice like it does get a bit like oh come on stop using humor as a self like a self-defense mechanism um anyway it opens with him being rushed to hospital because his colon exploded and he gets pneumonia because his lungs like half collapse from all oh the like gosh. toxic shit in them because he, he keeps being sick like and and eating his sick. And oh he my God. gets put into a coma and his family and friends are told he has a 2% chance of surviving the night. How old was he at this point? Is this post friends? Yes. It's just like mid friends, that period where he like clearly went to rehab and then came back like. So yeah, this was about 20 years ago, I think. Right. And um and yeah and he makes it obviously and had to wear a colostomy bag for eight months it exploded all over him and also this what is the colostomy bag did yeah the colostomy right. bag and oh this God, is like so. the way it's written he goes like people tell me i'm full of shit but today i really was you know right it's right, that kind yes. of jokes all the way through but um it is very interesting i mean he also makes the point that he felt like he was essentially primed to be an addict from being a baby because at three months old his mother gave him a benzo to help with him with his colic Right. It's a bit of an excrement theme all the way through as well. Yeah, and apparently you should never give a baby, like, an opiate. Um, because uh, at three months, you're incredibly, obviously, you're, like, forming as a person. Yeah, your brain is probably, like, yeah. and also wiring re- its pathways and stuff. Exactly. Neural pathways. Definitely. And also, that's apparently is a really crucial time for how you sleep. And he's never been able to sleep, like, more than four hours after that. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. So his parents were clearly, you know, beyond the old plane trip yeah not the best yeah he says he doesn't blame them and he's now forgiven he talks all about forgiveness he's forgiven his mom his mom was a press secretary i think for the former canadian prime minister pierre trudeau and she was incredibly beautiful um she was also like a beauty pageant winner so is and he canadian not american yeah so he's american canadian his dad's american his mom's um canadian and apparently she was so beautiful that this again 
contributed to his feelings of abandonment because whenever they would walk into a room, everyone would try and talk to his mum and she would kind of ignore oh. him. And then he says, and this is again a bit lame. I mean, I understand it, but you're like, oh, heave. He's like, and that left me craving the turn. The turn being what he wanted his mum to do to him, turn to him and give him the attention. Right. And then that's what he does to all the women in his life. He was never able to hold down a romantic relationship because all he wanted to do was prove that he could make women turn for him with his jokes and then move on to the next. Which is how he dumped Julia fucking Roberts. Really? He broke up with Julia Roberts. This is quite interesting. So, okay, as much as all the really sad stuff, um, there's also some great juicy intel on behind the scenes Yeah, I was going to say, is this really a book for like friends viewers, do you think? Or is it just for people that are generally interested in like Hollywood? Yes, I think there's some really interesting analysis on fame. He prayed to be famous. He didn't pray to have a certain role. He prayed to be famous, I think, because he felt that fame would fix his pain. Um, So it's an interesting look at fame. There are some chapters on the behind the scenes of Friends, but mostly it's a very heavy duty memoir about his addiction and recovery. Okay. So, I mean, it will be, I think, very inspiring for other addicts and people who are just interested in, like, how you come back from hell. Mm. Um... But yeah, in terms of friends, oh my he, God, yeah, give me the girls. he said that um, essentially he was like stuck with this other show that he couldn't get out of, like a sci-fi show that was terrible. So he meant that when the Chandler script, well, apparently everyone knew, fa- the, apparently everyone knew Friends was going to be big. They like smelt money when the script went round. So like everyone was trying to audition for it. And this role of Chandler um, was being passed around. It was the last to get cast. And obviously he was in Hollywood. So a lot of his friends were getting this this part to read and they kept being like dude this part is literally you can we come around and read it with you because you're going to really help me nail my audition because you are Chandler and obviously he couldn't do anything about it because he was stuck with this other show so by the time that he eventually did get on an audition he knew the script so much like back to front that apparently he did something you're never meant to do in cast in readings in LA. You're always meant to hold the script to make it obvious that you know that it's a work in progress. It's like this weird etiquette thing. And he went in without the script because he knew it all off by heart um, because he'd been reading Chandler for like months. He only got the audition because weirdly his best friend turned down the role. Interesting. So he'd been offered the role of Chandler in this, in, it was called like the friend, it had a different name at the point at that time. And he'd also been offered another role in an, another sitcom about a group of friends and he chose that one which meant that uh matthew perry eventually got the audition just by chance because they were like desperate interesting yeah and he nailed it apparently he like got it like straight away i feel like they go through that in the friends reunion but for some reason it's just like completely gone out of my head what actually happens so i feel like that's such a yeah. juicy like proper look at all the deeds what's even juicier is that um so basically for the it was season two for the super bowl episode they wanted julia roberts to star in the super bowl special and she was like i'm only gonna appear in it if i'm in chandler's storyline because that's who i really like and so um chandler that was then started sending her faxes to try and like persuade her to do the Super Bowl special and she said okay I'll do it but only if you explain what quantum physics is to me I'm trying to think who does she play in it so she plays um, this essentially one of his like former um school friends who he pulled down her pants in that's front of like this bad vibe, yeah. isn't there that's it she hates him she hates yeah. him and she basically goes out with him to get her back on him that's it she okay. leaves him naked in a restaurant yes in yeah. the, like handcuffed in the toilet yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i remember so oh, it's, it's really funny um anyway so yeah so they started this like faxing romance as in literally using the fax machine. And he had the whole like friends writer's room, like help him like write his messages. It sounds so cute. Anyway, eventually after like 
apparently it was like rolls and rolls of facts she came to his flat and they went out for three months and then he broke up with her because he felt classic man I mean I feel like always men do this when they've got really hot girlfriends he was like she's just too hot and she's gonna find out that I'm a fraud yeah so to dump her anticipatory was it pre or post them being in the show together during so they oh my were God, actually that together. Is so awkward that she had to like play the thing of like i hate you and then that yeah was yeah probably true. no they were actually shagging at the time and um she it was a complete secret at the time like they didn't no one knew that they were actually dating he met her family mm. apparently she was so confused when he broke up with her because he says like she was already like going out with a shitty tv guy yeah. and a shitty tv guy breaks up with her and apparently she's furious i was reading reports today that like sources close to julia roberts say she's very disappointed that he's Matthew brought up Perrick. a bit yeah because she's like super old school with her privacy basically i'm glad you brought yourself that's interesting to me it is but i do wonder just on a really nerdy like journalism tangent yeah. how do they um get her to like approve that because like if everything's being fact-checked surely they had to then fact-check that with julia roberts's team so surely then they can just be like you're not allowed to go live with that like i just never get like the actual like logistics and legalities of like what can run and what can't so i don't think that that would be an issue because it's not you're not slandering someone it's not libelous to like say that you've gone out with you know you're not ruining someone's reputation by saying you had a fling with matthew perry so i think Hmm. It's, it would only be if you but can you say it is reputation ruining if you wanted to do you know what I mean you'd I have know. to say that like no I don't think you, you'd have to say something like and she enabled my drug abuse I don't know right, it would have to okay. be it would have to be pretty dark Hardcore. yeah no no I don't, I don't think so I mean he actually does quite a lot of kiss and tells he says he snogged and possibly it's insinuated that they slept together as well Gwyneth Paltrow interesting in a cupboard before he was famous on Friends um, so yeah, there's lots of little fun stuff on that. He asked out Jennifer Aniston straight away. She said immediately no. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I do recommend it. And it's quite like well-written in a way. It sounds quite like a fun, easy read. Like the kind of thing that'd be yeah. quite good for like, I don't know, when you just want a little laugh. It's like uh, a bit like a toilet book, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a laugh, but also like, ooh, queasy. Right. Like, and, and and just like sad. I just feel so sad for him, especially at the end where he's like, this addiction will kill me. Like, yes, I've been sober for 14 years. Really? Is that what he says? Yeah, he's God. been sober for 14 years, but he's like, there's not a second where I'm not thinking about how not to have another Vicodin pill. He was on 55 Vicodin pills a day. And like here, you would be prescribed like naught point. What is Vicodin? It's, I think it's an opiate. Right. And he said the only reason he won't do heroin is he's just scared of like a colostomy bag and him not doing heroin is the only thing that saved him. Right. Um, but I mean, it sounds, basically reading it, you're just like, it sounds exhausting being you because every second of every day you're just thinking about not doing drugs. Yeah. I mean, he definitely didn't, in the reunion, I feel like he comes across as like an unhappy man. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's got a slight, he's got like a look of like, sort of pain or uncomfortableness on his face like all the time yeah 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 it doesn't sound like a fun life and what's really sad as well is that he really wanted a wife and children and he's like I've got this amazing house I've got so much money and no one to share it with Aww. yeah so I do feel a bit sad but then also again this goes back to what we were just talking about with Jamie yeah. Spears and how much each individual has to take responsibility for their own lives like a lot of people have been through addiction and like managed to come out the other side and be a great supportive partner and live that whole kind of like domestic life do you know what I mean? Like, That's true. A lot of people are able to come out the other side of it. He does sound a little bit like, where is me? He mm. is a bit like that. But I wonder if part of the reason which he does touch on is his recovery has not quite yet almost been voluntary. He says the only reason he doesn't drink is because 
he can't get drunk. He had, the realization came when he had 14 triple vodkas in a row and nothing changed. So he was like, it's completely pointless. Why? Because he's just done it so much yeah. that now he... he... He just, his tolerance is so insane that he can no longer get high. Same with um, his opiates. Like, right. it's literally impossible for him to get enough. Apparently he said it was like a full-time job to even get those 55 pills a day. He'd have to like make up all these different illnesses, all, all these different nurses. He'd have to go to get private jets in from Switzerland because they prescribe higher... Pink so he's not clean now because he wants to be. He's clean because it was just like too much effort to continue. It was like in the way that he was. Yeah, yeah. it was like he would have to upgrade to heroin to right. get any form of um, hit, and that is the one thing he won't do. Well, thank God, I right. guess he has that amount of self restraint. I did read one um, post from someone we used to work with actually on Instagram that was like, "Okay, dude, so you're on fifty five Vicodin pills a day because you got abandoned on a flight." It's a bit. Yeah, like, I actually kind of agree with that. Like. I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I'm sorry. People who have gone through like a lot worse trauma and haven't then ended up in that kind of situation. Not to minimise his suffering or pain. Like, I'm clearly he's a very troubled person. Yeah. But I kind of agree with that sentiment. Not going to lie. I wonder if, um, yeah, I, I do wonder if it sounds like a therapist has made him zero in on a traumatic moment almost. And then like using that as the root cause of everything. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's, it almost is like, oh, it's just tied up in a nice, nice little bow. He can now explain his entire life and remove all responsibility for it because his parents left him not to go on that flight. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds. I mean, I don't know what the alternative is. I guess it's just a less neat story. Isn't yeah, it? Um, he does also say that part of his pill addiction was the fact that he got prescribed a Vicodin. I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, Vicodin, uh, after a jet skiing accident. And right. it was in, um, I can't remember where it was, but he got prescribed like way more than you would get prescribed, I think, in either America or in the UK. Right. And after that, um, that's how he got hooked. So I think it's like a combination of the abandonment on the flight, the opiate when he was three months old, and then the jet skiing accident. But, but the whole abandonment theme is like really honed in on. Wow. But you know, who are we to say? But yeah, there have definitely been critics that have said like you're over egging the pudding, so. Interesting. But make your own minds up. I mean, yeah. I was definitely moved. I was very moved. And yes. I can't decide whether I want to read it after that or not. Um, well, it's it's right here. Yeah. I'll give it to you. You can see. All right, yeah. Have a little flip have a through. Little... I feel like you just gave a very brilliant summary though. Thank All the you juiciest bits. so much. Um, I want to talk more about Julia Roberts because her latest rom-com is out having not done a rom-com <gasps> for such a long time i've had such mixed reviews no i was put off but Haven't i want you? to yeah so i've purposely not looked up any of the reviews oh, at all well because i just didn't want yeah. to have my personal judgment swayed um it's called ticket to paradise and it's a very classic rom-com with julia roberts and george clooney as the parents of um a kind of post-college young lady who is gonna become a lawyer and then decides to go on a holiday to Bali and then, you know, spoilers, meets the love of her life, tells her parents she's not coming home and they've got to get a ticket to paradise to come and try and bring her home. And they're and be divorced. Like, yes, and they're divorced. And they the idea is that they like absolutely hate each other. So they've never been able to agree on anything apart from like agreeing on the fact that they're going to go and like make their daughter come home. Because is it quite Mamma Mia-esque? It's very Mamma Mia-esque. All the colour is really saturated, which I feel like is such a thing these days with a certain kind of film. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like the colours are so... Poppy I think it's bright. because we're all so stupid now that we need like everything to look beautiful for us to be engaged. Yes, like it literally looks cheerful. Like yeah. the, it looks what the mood is. Um, and yeah, it's really like fun and sweet. Like by all means, not, you know, the finest example of cinema ever, but a great, you know, hangover watch or like a cosy, 
You know what I mean? Like, where is it? Where is it set? Oh, sorry, no, on a what streaming platform? Oh, I actually don't know. Let me check. Would you say that it is bringing back the rom com? Um. So what I would say is it's not like um. I wouldn't say it's you know up there with the the finest rom coms of our age. No, exactly. There are lots more like of those nineties rom coms. I think we really did live through the golden age of those when we were younger. I mean, obviously they're quite problematic in all of the narratives that they push about women and relationships. Yada yada yada. But hey. There were some bloody great films coming out in those decades and ones that I still love watching now and I don't think it packs quite the same punch as like John a Miscongeniality. Oh, I mean, I did have <laughs> John Tucker Must Die DVD but that is a bad film, honey. That was a, I thought you were going to pull for like, I don't know, like How to Lose a Dunk Guy in 10 Days also or great something. Film. Yeah, and you... Knocked up. Knocked up. Do you know, you know, all those, well, I suppose they're kind of comedies as well, aren't they? But yeah, no, I just said that as a test to see if you were all listening. Um, yes. It's on, you can watch it on like Apple or Amazon, but it's one of those ones where you have to like pay for it. If You, you can watch it like a lot of places, I think, because it's probably out in the cinema. Pay for art, guys. Yeah, I think it's probably, yeah. I mean, you can go see it in the cinema, let's say. So it's on, it's like a fun film to go and see like that. Like I would not expect to come out of it a changed person who's like realigned their, you know, philosophy on life. No. But you will come out of it having smiled a bit. Also Josh Creeney looks so hot in the in the posters and the trailer. Yeah, I wonder what their age gap is actually. I was thinking that between So I went through a very anti feminist hole of comparing their ages and then looking at what work they'd both had done. Because I was like, I'm sorry, but George Clooney looks a lot better than Julia Roberts and a lot younger than her. Well this is the thing, but I always used to think that he would definitely be ten years older than her, but then I'm like, maybe they're the same age. I think they are because I remember being very angry that George Clooney looked better than Julia Roberts and I feel like it was purposeful casting and that they've, they've made the choice to like not have a ridiculously young woman next to a George Clooney do you know what I mean yes um, um, and their interviews that they've done around it is so cute they have the best chemistry they're clearly they yeah. clearly love you each other you actually can definitely tell that they've got like a great fun relationship George Clooney just sounds like the nicest guy yeah it's a very like fun silly part for him which I quite like as well you know he's like the typical dad that's like he wants her to become a lawyer, even though she clearly doesn't enjoy it that much and doesn't really feel like purpose from it and wants to actually go and like pick seaweed in Bali. And he's like, mm, no, you're actually becoming a lawyer. And like, just looks at this Balinese like hippie is like, oh my good God. Like, you know, it's just like a very, it's like the most obvious narrative that you could possibly imagine from what I've just described. Well, do they do but, shrooms in Bali? Because if so, I can't watch it and I'll be triggered. No, they don't. I don't remember any shrooms being in it anyway. Unless okay. I've like, yeah. Well, um, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, a fun, easy watch, um, which would l- prompt me to ask you, please share with me your favourite Julia Roberts film. Erin Brockovich. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought you might go for a rom-com, but you've gone straight for the hard hitter. Oh, she's just so good in that. She is so, so good in that, isn't she? And she won an Oscar. She did. That was what she got her Oscar for. Yeah. yeah. I just love um, Notting Hill. So I made um, my boyfriend watch that the other week. He He'd not, not seen Notting Hill? No, he hasn't seen any of the like, Classics. No, has he oh my God. Don't tell me that he didn't enjoy Notting Hill. He was asleep for most of it. <gasps> I'm so offended. He will listen to this and be oh, really annoyed. I love that film. I know. I mean, saying that again, though, I don't know if it's that like I look back on it on Rose Tinted Glasses because I loved it like when I was like a child. So, uh, yeah, I rewatched it, loved it less. Erin mm. uh, Rockovich is just, I just think her part is just so much more likable in it. Because Julia Roberts right. in Notting Hill is kind of like, oh, you're so annoying. She is slightly annoying, I agree. And the, some of the dialogue is obviously like cringe beyond belief. So I would like to recommend something really fun as well, Go which on. is about America's most notorious serial killer. 
Well, that sounds really cheerful. One of your classic uplifting recos. Love it. That was a very dramatic paper turn for, for effect, listeners. <laughs> Els just did a very, very dramatic paper, paper turn. turn. So I'm expecting some Look serious... Look at my horrendous handwriting. I mean, I can't read that, so you're going I to I just have wrote to, some quick notes. You're going to have to translate these hieroglyphics for it me. It's literally hieroglyphics. So The Good Nurse on Netflix, starring Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne, in quite possibly ooh, one of his best roles, ooh, I would think. Yeah. Oh my God, because I love him as well. Yeah, it's and really, I really good. Like her, yeah, so. They're just brilliant. And it's basically about... Uh, it's based on off a true story of America's most prolific serial killer, Charles Cullen, who was a nurse who um, worked at 16 different hospitals in America, well, specifically New Jersey, and killed potentially up to 400 patients. Fucking hell. He was only charged with murdering 40, because that's what they had evidence for, but they suspected 400. And he did so by injecting things like um, insulin into their saline bags. Right. So a bit like that Harold Chipman. Yes. Is it that kind of... Yeah. It's that kind of thing of like twist, and a bit like that nurse who killed all those babies. Oh, that's just been in the news yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah Le- Le- Lepre or something. But um, what's so perverse is um, he never explains why he did it. There's He says one line, which is true in real life. He says, they didn't stop me. Right. And it's unclear as to whether he's talking about the patients or the hospitals. What's very disturbing, and it's a very like interesting look at like healthcare in America, is that all the hospitals gave him, they knew what was happening, they knew what he was doing, and when he was let go from every hospital, they continued giving him neutral or positive references. Why? Because they didn't it want to be liable. Than having the responsibility for that. Being sued by the victims, right. families, or whatever. So he managed to work at 16 different hospitals. They all Were they knew- all old people? Was it? That kind uh, of Harold Chipman thing. Did he have a specific target? It was victim? old people, but like some people were probably like 55. No, okay. there were some like middle-aged people. Men and women. Men and women. Um, and what's really disturbing in the in the film, but which is what makes it so good, is that he's really likable. So he's like a mm. so basically the way he gets uncovered is through his colleague Amy, um, played by Jessica Chastain, who fig- who realizes that things just aren't adding up. All these patients that are nowhere near who were going to make full recoveries were just dying in the night because he would he would like pinprick insulin into the saline bag. So and and then they would die like ten hours later. So he'd be nowhere near the scene of the crime by the time. They actually died like ten hours later after the incident, oh like gosh. just made its way through. Just a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. but but he was a really good friend to her. She had a heart problem. He was always there for her. It was like amazing with her kids. She was a single mom. So like, did she like unravel everything? She un- of her that yeah, the story came she, out. She unravelled it. She ha- she worked with the police to get confession from him on a wire. She was wearing oh. a wire. But she's very conflicted because she really you can tell she really loves him as a friend. And he was a wonderful nurse in some way, she says. Like, the reason I never suspected him at first is because he was a good nurse. That's why it's called the good nurse. Right. Like, he was an amazing nurse, but then also did these horrible things. So, yeah, it's it's a weird one in that you feel really sympathetic to him. And Eddie Redmayne's so good at, like, that kind of emotional performance of, yeah. You feel sorry for him, but also, obviously, he's a How many episodes? Kid. It's a film. Oh, it's a film. And from what you've just said now, is it still worth me watching or is there loads of spoilers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That? No, I yeah. think just because it's such brilliant, like, double acting apps. And, stuff. and I guess actually, like you said as well, when it's real life, like, you can't really have a spoiler. Yeah, it's not exactly. You just, like, not. Google it. Yeah. And also, you know from the beginning, like, what's happening. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, It's, it's very clear. It's like that a retrospective narrative. Well, it's not, yeah, no, it's not a retrospective, but it's just very obvious that he's the one doing it, doing it, because it's like, okay. it's only basically them in the whole film. But it's really good and also really easy to watch. Fun. Okay. Um, so yeah and i also recommend very quickly the playlist anyone interested Ooh. in how spotify was created 
watch it. Documentary? No, uh, dramatization, six episodes. It's really good. What I channel? Think. Netflix as well. I'm really oh, enjoying it. It's gosh. in, so it's in, it's Swedish with subtitles. Oh. Uh, so you can't watch it hungover because you have to watch the screen. Yeah. But it's really good. And is it accurate? Like, is it basically the social network for Spotify set across six episodes? So um, I've read reports that they very much make Daniel Ek, the founder of Spotify, much more villainous. And actually, I was quite disturbed by the quotes from the creator. He was like, oh, we just didn't really know much about him. So he was a character that we could most twist to fit yeah, the storyline. Yeah, I feel like that's like, a bit fucked up. And... But you've got his entire full yeah. name. Yeah, I'm not, I don't love the way that people are going with that kind of stuff at the moment. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure about this whole like semi-dramatization of real things where you don't make clear to the audience what's been dramatized and what hasn't. 100%. I actually think it's slightly unethical. And with The Crown, I mean, I'm not there to defend the monarchy of The Crown, whatever, but I do feel a bit bad that for some of the characters that are still alive that they're like... Which well, is like you'd rather it be accurate. Yeah. If it's going to be damning. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Rather than like literally playing with reality so that people don't understand what actually happened and what didn't. I think that's a dangerous game. I think the Crown have now had to cave and add a disclaimer. That I heard that. Didn't, yeah, didn't someone, didn't some kind of famous actor Judy like Dench. say, oh, it was Judy Dench, that was it. Have you seen the Louis Through interview with Judy Dench? I haven't. Should I? Uh, yeah, it's a fun watch. You know, I like his interview series. It's the follow-on from Stormzy. The one I before find him Young slightly Black. annoying these days. I've become oversaturated Have with you? Him. See, I quite like the way he's being like, I mean, he's being annoyingly self-referential in terms of his success, like on purpose, like with Judy as well. So he's like looking at her BAFTAs and he's like, oh, my BAFTA. Sorry, Judy, did you hear that? My BAFTA actually has a different base than these ones. Do you know what I mean? He's like yeah. doing it in like a fun way. However, I really judged him when he did the um, that music video with Amelia de Moldenberg. Jig- What's it called? Oh, yeah. Jiggle. The Jiggle. Jiggle, jiggle one. Jiggle. It's like, oh, that's See, so I don't lame. judge him for that in a way. I I think it's like really obvious why he did it because he's like, oh my God, I'm suddenly like famous with a whole new generation of people that didn't even know who I am and my kids all like this. That's the vibe that I got. It's like one of those, it's like kind of doing it for the kids. Yeah. I mean, he's I, never said that. I just felt like he just kept it to the chicken shop date mention, which was funny when they did the yeah. rap together, but then to whole, to make a whole music video off a not that funny moment. Well, he says to Stormzy, doesn't he? He got approached by a label for it and stuff. He does so say that. Yeah. he's probably made a fair few dollar off it. You know, the self-deprecation just sometimes get wears a bit thin. Oh, I love Louis. It was like my best day ever when I got to interview him. And he interviewed Did me. Did you? Yeah, it was a phoner though, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. It was years ago. It was literally five years ago. And he um, interviewed me right back. Like, I was trying to interview him. It was when he did the Scientology documentary. And he was like, well, I'm interested in that. But I'm more interested in what you actually think about that. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, what did, and did, were you able to reply? Yeah, I think so. I, well, I would like, it was obviously you were a bit caught out on the spot, but luckily, obviously, I had seen the film and could say things. Um, but I, I like the way he is with Judy. I think it's cute. I think their vibe is super cute. Uh, I love her doormat. She's got a 007 doormat. Oh, I love that. Which was quite fun. I do love a Judy Dent interview. The um, Vogue uh, cover interview from last year is really good when Giles Hattersley has tea at her house. Yeah, and it's quite interesting where, how she talks about what her career was like. Because obviously, um, she was a theatre actress, like, first and foremost. And when she made the move into film at first, like, the director who'd even asked to see her was like, you'll never be a star because your face is, like, not pretty enough, essentially. They said she was too weird looking. Or, like, they basically said she didn't have the face of, like, the classic Hollywood star. Do you know, I think she has got more beautiful with age. I do. I definitely do. Actually, I must say as well, so her grown-up daughter is in the documentary and she looks a lot like her and it's quite really? fun because then her grandson is and you know how she lived with her grandson her grandson moved in with her for 10 months over lockdown oh, and that's cute. when she made all those fun tiktoks like he made them oh, and he would be yes. like watch my grandma do this dance or whatever and just their relationship is really sweet and wholesome they danced a young gravy together yeah they did like a tiktok like every day for like months and months and months um but yeah so she's just very cute and also she has a parrot called sweetheart that speaks 
And she tells this story about how once in lockdown when she was on her own, she fell over and she couldn't get up. And the parrot, um, she was on the floor for like 30 minutes and the parrot just kept saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Over and over and over when she was on the floor. Very strange. Um, Did she get help? I think she got herself up in the end. The parrot didn't get help because the parrot was really confused and was being like, what are you doing? <laughs> Lying on the floor. <laughs> that must have been so infuriating. Yeah. Like, Shut up or help me for And God's then I got sake. into a whole like separate rabbit hole of like looking up like exactly how parrots speak and why because I'm like if it's just mimicry why would they say that in that scenario do you know what I mean because it's not just mimic what you're doing it's like literally asking her what are you doing yeah Um, yeah yeah Yeah, I mean you have to teach them the words yeah I don't know I mean I have to say when I once made a parrot speak it was like one of the um like most surreal moments of my life in Barbados Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, she's also like, they go and feed the ducks, which is really cute. And she then basically, she's got all these like ducks on their little lake in her garden. And she says how, um, she basically, her and Lou had this whole conversation about how apparently male ducks are very sexually violent. They really yes. attack the women. Yes, I've read about this. Yes. I thought, I thought you'd like that fact. <laughs> um, mallards. Yes. And um, they sometimes drown the females. Trying to like... Murderous Mallard. Yeah. Oh my God, babe. Do you remember the very traumatic scene when we watched the rape of the peahen in Morocco? Yes. Uh, with the, the peacock. Peacock. And, and that was it. when I realised that peahens uh, are female. Yes. And its tail was like vibrating loads. That was odd. So we basically saw quite a violent rape. We did. Of the peahen. It was actually really disturbing. I hated it. Yeah, I didn't really like that. And there was that. nothing you could do. No, we just had to be like, Haha, can we uh, see the other animals? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um... The final thing that I'll say on Judy Dench, so if you want to go and watch it, you can, um, without any spoilers, is that it was really cute that her, she's lived where she has for so long that her postman basically gets like fan mail with the most random addresses on it to her. So she's literally had posts that'll be like, Dame Judy Dench, somewhere in or near a woodland in Sussex. And the postman has got that to her. How? <laughs> like, because I guess like maybe living in that area for so long, he knows where she lives. So like anytime there's Judy Dench, like basically all her posts actually gets to her. That is Which so is quite cool. Incredible, Who's the postman? I want to meet him. I know. Um, and yeah, there's really cute stuff about like her late husband. And she also says... Is she single? I think so, yes. Oh, no, actually, maybe she does have like a, a man friend. No, I think maybe she's single. Anyway, sorry, don't see me. I'm probably wrong on that. But... She does also say that she hates being called a national treasure, which is interesting. Because Louis was like, well, what's wrong with that? And she's like, well, I'm sorry, Larry. How do you feel about being called a national treasure? And he's like, hmm, actually, it does feel a bit like you're being sort of patted on the head and then told to go out to pasture. And she's like, exactly. Exactly. So that's quite an interesting reframing of national treasure. It makes you feel like, oh, my God, these famous people, they don't, they're they're quite entitled, aren't they? I know. There's always something. Bloody be happy. I saw what it said. The the doormat says, I've been expecting you, Mr. Bond. Oh, that's good. It's so cute. That's really good. I loved it. I get the sense that she will take no shit. Oh my God, yeah, she's kind of scary. She's like, yeah, she's quite quite strict with Louis. And obviously, she talks all about her blindness, which is kind of scary, actually, because she has macular degeneration. And I'm definitely going to get that because it's like female genetic thing. And my granny has it, and my great granny. My great granny went blind, and my granny had to have like. Oh God, that's making me nervous. But I also feel like maybe it shows that Judy Dench is like significantly older because now there's actually treatment for it like my granny hasn't gone blind because she had injections into her eyeballs for like 10 years because she knew she had this thing because her mother went blind so yes God. sorry now so i know about my health um, um now you'll scary, probably babe. be concerned um no, also have you been reading about toxic um shock syndrome because now i'm more Higgins. i always have it yes i have but i've always been overly paranoid of that anyway because once we had like a tampon lady come into our school when we were in like year nine and like talk all about it and so i've always been like hyper paro of that i'm really paro but well done, Maura, for talking about it. Because I feel like it's definitely quite, like, there's a lot of stigma around something I like that. I know, she was quite graphic about the smell. Yes. But I didn't like, I mean, I hate Keith Lemon anyway, but he was fucking 
kind of weird and rude about it. Um, Classic him. Yeah, I really don't like him. Really don't like him. But she... Wait, yeah. why was he talking about her? Because she that's how she, like, revealed it oh. in this, like, scene with him when they were walking the supermarket. And oh, then she right. talked about it. And he's like, oh, I bet it stank like a dead rat or something. He's like, oh, that's a really nice way to speak about women's reproductive health. Oh. And the whole point, really, is that, like women don't really like do things about this kind of thing because it's like there's sort of shame and embarrassment around yeah. the vagina and periods and all that. Well, it was stuck that, to her so. stomach or something, she said. I think it had got like, yeah, wedged into like a corner for like three months or something. Like, yes. Um, to end this yes. delightful Ooh, chat. I have two more recommendations for you. First is a very, very short one, but it's a newsletter recommendation um, because I have been, I love, po- yeah, I love Pot Bitch. Oh my God. Oh I no, love- sorry. It's actually not yours this time. No, I know, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's a different vibe. It's called Pot Bitch. I just suddenly realised, because I, I read it quite like religiously. Same, and then I, was I like, read it every week. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, like, we've never mentioned this on the pod and it's like literally the ultimate little place to get your... Sneaky celeb gossip. It's so good. When the Prince Andrew stuff was going round, it had some great nuggets on that. It had some great bits about Matt Hancock recently and how he's obviously on... Um, I'm a celeb. I'm a celeb. Get me out of here. He's also recorded um, Celeb SAS though. So apparently Channel 4 are fuming. Oh yes. Yeah, I read Do you that. see that? Because they're like, why the hell have you done another celebrity survival show like in the same time? And he's also been heard going around like Whitehall or whatever, talking about the fact that he wants... He's pitching a show concept that's like hancock's holiday home or something about him and his girlfriend buying a holiday home in like france and doing it up and he's like trying to make that happen oh my um, god which is just lol but yeah so definitely um sign up to that if you'd like a little bit of fun like gossip it'll usually be like someone has been overheard talking about da, da, da. like it's i'm fascinated yeah, it's a bit mysterious in how they get it? their gossip yeah they must have so many sources. So many. And also how they don't get sued. I read an interview with the founder and she was like, literally, we have never been sued. I think once by Hugh Grant, I think. Ooh. I think they've been successfully sued by Hugh Grant. He's very uh, libellous. Oh, is he? Uh, right. No. Litigious. He's very yeah. litigious. Oh, okay. Um, okay, what's your second one? And then my second one is just another TV one, which is... It's actually the only series that I've watched recently and it's called The Peripheral. It's mm. the Chloe Grace Moretz series. I think it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon, yeah. What's she famous from? So she was like a child actor. She was in so many things growing up. She actually went out with Brooklyn Beckham for a bit. Um, and now she is finally like, I guess in her early 20s or something. But it was the first time I've ever seen her in something. I'm like, whoa, you actually look like an adult. You know when you kind of like, like we said, even in your head, you freeze someone as their like child Selena look. Gomez still not yes. has grown up for I me. really want to watch her documentary. I haven't watched that yet. But um Maybe we could talk about that next Maybe time. we'll talk about that next yeah. time. Uh, but yes, it's basically set a little bit in the future. Obviously, I like futuristic things. You do. A bit you dystopian. Like a bit of sci-fi. Yeah, I do. And it's it's like the near future though. And basically, um, she is a sick like gamer. And games have basically um, evolved a little bit to be uh, more like a VR experience. So you put mm. on a headset and then you're like in the world of the game. And um, her and her brother are both. Her brother is like a professional like game jockey that like like does levels for people to get them further and she also helps because she's so good and he gets this new headset that sounds all like mysterious and weird and they're like it's from Colombia it's this brand new simulation game and um, but it's the hardest ever and the reason he got picked for it is because he was so high, high up on a leaderboard and it's this whole new virtual reality that is like you're literally in the body like when you go you shut your eyes and you have this headset on it's got all these like nodes around the brain and then you literally feel that you have a physical body in the game like it's like the most like immersive possible Ooh. and Basically, without giving too much away, she starts to think that maybe it's not a game. Interesting. And there's quite a lot of it set in London, which is quite fun. And it's like, uh, generally, you know, it's a bit Inception. It's a bit like... Okay, I'm either going to love her or Yeah. Do you know what? This makes you think that you're going to love, because I know you love Olivia Cook from House of Dragon. Yeah. She is in a very similar sci-fi... Um, 
game Ooh, thing called what's... Ready Steady One. Is that what it's called? Ready Player One. Oh, I don't, I've not heard of that, but that sounds right on my streets. So yeah. Again, they're in a game and it becomes reality and blah, blah, blah. She's also in a Fenty ad at the moment. And oh mm, my... Don't rate her in that. I think she looks amazing. I, so the problem is Olivia Cook, and I've interviewed her. She is just as nice oh, have as you? I have, yeah, oh, for her when she was in Vanity Fair. Is it because I have seen her in so many comic roles, specifically Vanity Fair, which I think was on BBC or something? I don't think I've seen that. It came out like five years ago. Because I actually, yeah, can't think of anything else that I've seen her in. As in, I recognise her face, but I wouldn't be able to call to mind. So I think I, that was probably the first show I saw her in. And she has a very distinctive smile. And she does it in House of Dragon. And I just can't help but think that everything she does is funny. Okay. Or, or that she thinks everything she does is funny. She's and, just got a funny face. And she's like that in the Fenty ad. I just think she looks funny. Uh, beautiful. She's beautiful, but I can't help but see her in a comic You feel way. like it's like a slightly parody I ad or something, par- yes. right? <laughs> I can't see her in the way that it's said to be. I'm really sorry. She is stunning yeah. and a brilliant actress. But unfortunately, there's something about the way she smiles that... For, anyway, if you watch Vanity Fair, you'll see what I mean. It's also very good. really recommend it. Okay, well, I will watch that. Thank you. So closing statements, I want to ask you about... Billie Eilish and Jesse Rutherford. I, I literally went on such a, like, like a wormhole with this yesterday. Same. Because I'd obviously seen all the stuff around Halloween, her being the baby, him being the old man. They were saying that basically their costumes were, like, poking fun at the age difference. Oh, I didn't, I saw the red car, I saw everyone rinsing with the, Gucci the blanket around them. Where, and someone was like, I'm sorry, but you, this is not the Rihanna um Yes, they're trying to be ASAP like in the Comme des Garçons on yeah. the Met Gala. Yeah, <laughs> I actually really, oh my God, that's so accurate. Yes, I do not rate the Gucci blanket, not going to lie. Apparently they caused drums like last week with um, Halloween because even though they didn't publicly post the pictures from other images at the parties, whatever, they clearly were trying to like poke fun at the age gap between them because she was a baby. She just was like a cartoon baby and he's like a proper like old man with like a bald head and wrinkles and stuff. So everyone was like, mm, that's kind of in bad taste and a bit gross. I mean, I say everyone, I mean like a couple of people on the internet, you know what I mean? But So I have a massive, I have a personal kind of like what the fuck with age gaps because I'm like, I find men that are like more than five years younger than me so like on a different level that how could... Yeah, but an older man... But an older man, yeah, that's true. It's a different story. And that's probably just societal conditioning. Do you know what I mean? In the way that yeah, like women can imagine being with a man that's older than them and men can imagine being with a woman that's younger than them. But the other way around, it's considered almost like... Apart from teenage boys, love do. a MILF. Yes. Um, but I did feel kind of sorry for him. So he's a singer as well. He's called Jesse Rutherford and he's 31. Billie Eilish is 20. Yeah, it's an 11 or 12 year age. Yeah. He's like so 31, it's 32. It's not mental. No, and she is very mature. I was actually discussing it with Marlon yesterday. Yes. And he was like, mm, obviously Billie Eilish would have an older boyfriend. She's like the most mature person and always has been ever since she was like 16 years old. Yeah. So, so I, I, she's not getting... going to go out with the guy her age, is she? Exactly. And I felt kind of sorry for them and specifically him because it felt like he was getting so much hate. Very much like Zach Braff and Florence Pugh. Yeah, I think it's going to be that again, basically. It isn't is it? that He's again. going to get like chased and that's why they broke up but essentially I mean it was pretty clear that like essentially they were just being harassed it just by... wasn't worth I mean theirs was a bit um, Florence Pugh's 26 Zach Braff is 47 so there's a bit more of an age gap mm. but she had to defend it so many times yeah so no wonder that's going to put shame in your relationship um, but yeah I don't know so I think one of the things that they found quite weird was that Billy met Jesse when she was 15 yeah that's why I saw people are saying that they met when she was underage which is what makes it like and he would have been kind 26. of inappropriate yeah. It's yeah. like how um, Cheryl Cole obviously met Liam when he was like 14, 15, auditioning for The X Factor. Yeah. Which I've always found odd. And she got shit for that. I mean, at least, you know, they're yeah, getting shit on both sides. Yeah. And I, I've always thought that was slightly odd. Like, you literally saw him as a 14 year old and 
now you want to have his child in your 30s? Anyway, not Talking to Talking of Florence Pugh, the Telegraph film critic interviewed her two weeks ago for the paper and she got so annoyed when he asked about the Don't Worry Darling drama. Ooh. Completely oh God, shut it down. What? Yeah. And was just like, I'm not talking about this. Yeah. And the PRs were like very like but like about it. obviously he was going to ask that, right? Yeah, like, I know. Surely every single person that's interviewed her in the last like year has asked about that. Yeah, oh, honestly, I just think but I bet you they must have said it before it's off limits, and then he brought it up anyway or something. They yeah. must have said before it's off limits. By the way, something when a huge thing like that happens and they don't want to talk about it, usually you get an email that's like, FYI, we're not discussing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or when you but like, get to the interview and you're like waiting, and they're exactly. like, by the way, don't ask about blah blah blah, and then you're like, well, I literally can't now because. That's the thing. And as we've talked about before, and you can go and listen to our behind the scenes celebrity journalism, it's really not up to us what questions we ask often. No. Unless you want to get fired. <laughs> well, so, I think that's quite a nice uh, note to end on. I'd written on my piece of paper, orgasm manifestation, but I'll save that for next time. Save that for next time. I actually did see there was some kind of piece doing the rounds on it's that a trend one. on TikTok. Right, right. Yes. Let's say We'll try it out. And quite feedback. enough this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Enjoy um, all the recommendations. Go read. Go watch. Let us know what you think. We'll put um, links in the show notes. Yeah. Please do rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah. And Pass we'll the pod on to a friend. S- yes. Go and send it right now to a friend. And we will see you next week with a fantastic guest. A very fantastic guest. Very thoughtful, provoking conversation it was. Bye, guys. Bye.